themselves. These days, I think it's fair to say um, most people, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I, I went back and forth on this, most people know that we do some bad things, right? Occasionally, I've come across folk who truly believe that everyone is basically good. But for the most part, I think most of us reject that idea as self-evidently wrong. And instead, the prevailing attitude is that we all know that we are capable of doing wrong. We know that we have done wrong. But nonetheless, despite that, at the end of the day, we're kind of just good people muddling our way through life. We slip up every now and again, but it's not a big problem. Well, Luther would disagree. He came to see that all of these sunny stories about how good we are, well, they're not, they're not just not true. They're lies, but actually terrible lives, enslaving lives. So hold on, what? Enslaving lies? Well, yes. How could that be, you say? But yes, consider this. If our problem is so small, it must be easy to fix, right? I mean, my tendency to selfishness that must be something that I could just sort out, right? Just give me the right program and I'll be selfless. The other day, I was, um, it was the 12th of January and I was listening uh, on the radio to this uh, lady and she was saying that apparently the 12th of January is the day on which the majority of British people have given up their New Year's resolutions. And I heard uh, this lady from the British Board of Dietitians advising people what they need to do to revive the New Year's diet. And she said, you just need to make small changes and that will help you give up whatever it is that you need to give up. Now it struck me that what she is saying there about diets is what most people say about sin or bad things that they do. If you have the right program, the right amount of time, you can sort yourself out completely. And yet it's funny, isn't it? The world just doesn't seem to be full of people who are completely sorted out. Luther was apparently reared in a you-can-sort-yourself-out environment as well. In his day, they didn't have national boards of X, Y, and Z giving tips for changing your behaviour or Oprah-type personalities telling you to follow your truth. They didn't have the internet or social media either with all its endless stream of advice. But what they did have was a church and an education system that was heavily influenced by a guy called Aristotle. I'm sure you've heard of him. And he had a fairly simple philosophy. Well, actually, it wasn't simple, but in, in relation to this, he, it was fairly simple. He said, if we want to become righteous, we become righteous by doing righteous things. It was a self-help ideology for the Middle Ages, a kind of fake it till you make it medieval style philosophy. Just keep at it and you'll get there. And we hear the same thing today too, and it, st it still doesn't work. I was thinking, you know Michael Jackson, he said, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. And that if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. Remember that song? And as we know, Michael looked into that man and looked at that man in the mirror and he saw a lot that he didn't like. But the changes that he made were never enough. Luther discovered the same thing. 
he wanted to be righteous. And as a monk, he poured himself into this program for change that Aristotle's teaching held out to him. He fasted, he prayed, he went on pilgrimages, he did all the things that a monk should do, and yet he was never cured of his sinful desires. And he was never done with his sinful actions. In fact, what he found was that all this doing to try and be perfect was making him resentful towards God. The exact opposite of what he was hoping for. And sometimes I meet people who have left the church because they think the church teaches the goal is to be good and you should get there by trying. And they can't do it, so they leave. And the truth is, I don't blame people who hear that. If you're here, I hope you're not, but if you are here and you think our message is to work hard so that someday you will be good, you need to come talk to me or Christoph or anyone afterwards because you're getting the wrong idea. For Luther, all of these outward righteous acts only ended up making him bitter and resentful, even hateful towards God. God, in his eyes, was a cruel taskmaster. And Luther both feared and disliked him. I'm going to use this mic, actually. And so he began to see from his experience, as many do who travel on this journey with God, that sin is not a surface problem. It went deeper than he could imagine. The solution to the problem of our deep sinfulness was in a radical new beginning. This is Luther's main and first discovery. He eventually broke with the consensus of the time by studying the Bible, and he wrote these words uh, very near the, the start of his reforming career. He said, we do not become righteous by doing righteous deeds, but by being made righteous, we do righteous deeds. It's all the way around. In other words, Luther found out that if you want to do good, you must first be made good. Sin is not something we can sort out by ourselves, by adjusting our performance. So how does that work? Well, Luther then said, The grace of God, however, makes righteousness abound through Jesus Christ, because it causes one to be pleased with the law. And every deed of the law without the grace of God appears good outwardly, but inwardly it is sin. The good law and that in which one lives is the love of God spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, what we can't do by ourselves and by our effort, the grace of God does. The Holy Spirit comes down into our lives and changes our hearts and causes us to actually desire what is good. Now that's a kind, at first blush that's appealing to a lot of people, right? We know the difference um, we know the difference between an action that is done to tick a box or even one that is done with reluctance and one that is done with a full desire to do it. There's different categories. Luther was saying to the, that to be a good person, to be someone who does good things from a heart that wants to do them, you actually need to have your heart changed. And maybe there's some couple implications of what I said that has you squirming there. I wouldn't be surprised, even as I, myself, as I went over this, uh, I went over the old battle in my head. Well, hold on there, Luther. Hold on there, Bible. Are you, am I really unable to do go good 
without God changing my heart. Is that what you're saying? Well, yes. At one point in the, in, the, in the Gospels, Jesus says, only God is good. The implication is that we're not. There are still a lot of people who would have no problem with the reformers teaching that God saves people out of his sheer loving kindness, giving them a new ability to really love people and him. And it's fine, they say. But there is a clear implication of that message that says that people need to be saved because they're otherwise helpless in their sin. Otherwise helpless to do anything that pleases God. Otherwise they're not good and are unable to do good things in God's eyes. Now, do, is that accepted by the majority of society around us today? Is it accepted by you? Or me? Well, it was the same tension in Luther's day. I'm going to tell you now um, a story of a bit of a fight. I don't know how much of a fight it was, really, but it was certainly a, a, a dialogue of letters and, and books that were opposed to each other. A fight that Luther had with another man during this time, and that man was called Erasmus. And at the time, uh, he was the most celebrated scholar of Europe. He was like a religious... Stephen Hawking, or, or I don't know who the most famous scholar is today. Stephen Hawking probably is, he probably works. And he was religious, he was religious. He was the man responsible for kickstarting the modern Bible translation movement when he collected as many manuscripts of the Bible as he could to translate a new modern version of the Bible. We owe it all to him. And he read Luther's works and writings and he disagreed completely. For him, the idea that we are enslaved to sin, that we can't actually do anything that pleases God, that was the real lie. He said, no, 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 Luther, no. Humans have a problem, yes. We have a sin problem, but the solution is to work hard. God will accept our efforts. And he knows that they are not perfect, but he will take our good intentions and treat our attempts better than they deserve. And the result would be that God will credit things to us. He'll give us merit for our efforts. God will take the little molehills of our righteousness and turn them into mountains. He was the complete opposite of what Luther was saying. According to Luther, we contribute nothing to our own salvation. The only way we can be saved is if we get the righteousness of Christ given to us and counted as ours. You need to be righteous to face God. And seeing we can't get any, we need Christ's. Erasmus <clears throat> wrote a little essay called The Freedom of the Will, and Luther, who was being attacked by basically nearly everyone uh, in Europe at the moment, rarely responded to anyone, but to this attack, he did, because he recognized that Erasmus had gotten to the heart of the matter. He said, Luther, this is, you alone have attacked the real issue and have not wearied me with irrelevancies about the papacy, purgatory, and indulgences, and other trifling stuff. You and you alone have seen the question on which everything hinges. Now here's Luther's argument, right? Am I, am I free to do what I want? I can lift my hand. I can say something that I want to say. I can do something. I can make a choice. And every time I do something, I usually do it because I choose to do it. There are times when your choices are few or minimal, or there are times when we are forced to do something, but it doesn't negate the fact 
that I regularly choose you all. We all regularly choose to do things. And if I choose to do things, then why don't I get credit for when I choose to do good? Well, Luther would say, <coughs> firstly, it's not enough. And secondly, the good you think you're doing isn't as pure as you think it is. You see, Luther says we always do what we want to do. Everything we do, it's always what we want to do. Underneath our will lies our heart, with all its inclinations and desires, governing and directing our choices. And so our choices are governed by our hearts, which is governed by our desires. When I go into McDonald's and I choose a bacon and cheese quarter pounder over a regular hamburger, it's because I desire that bacon and cheese quarter pounder. That's why I chose it. I desired it. And when it comes to sin, I don't sin because I've been deceived. I don't sin because I'm uneducated, although they may be factors. But ultimately, I sin, we all sin, because I want to. There's something in me that wants to do it. And as for this business about what about the good that I do, well, says Luther, I live the life, <clears throat> this is Luther talking, of extreme striving. And I found that actually underneath it all, I didn't do it for God. I did it for me. An outward appearance of righteousness I could achieve, yep. But it would be nothing more in the end than a hollow sham made of self-dependence, self-worship, and self-righteousness. Naturally, what I really wanted was the many other things than to love God. Naturally, I was condemned, says Luther and rightfully so. Erasmus comes back at him and he says, no, 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 Luther, You're, we're just lazy. Folk are just lazy. We have problems, but they're not insurmountable. People just need to pull up their socks and work hard. For, <clears throat> for Erasmus, the church was like an army. And he wrote actually a book called uh, The Manual of a Christian Soldier. And in it, he said that the important thing for Christians to do was to keep the rules and to do one's duty. Now, you might think, well, you know, that's obviously uh, a loser, right? It sounds very legalistic and dry. But actually, Erasmus was very concerned about spiritual matters. For him, character, character sorry, and virtue were incredibly important. He wrote a lot, as many Roman Catholics still do. I remember reading a few leaflets myself as a kid about Mary being an example of humility and selflessness, which she is. But in his writings, he encourages people to be humbler, more charitable, self-controlled, and so on. But character and virtue is not the same thing as having a relationship with God. And as we all know, there are many virtuous non-Christians. But in Erasmus's 22 rules, I think there was, for being a Christian soldier, a relationship with God comes nowhere. There's no mention of it. Luther, on the other hand, for him, the church is more like a family. Knowing the Father is what matters above all else. Sin is not just bad behavior or doing the wrong thing. It's despising God. The root of sin reveals a heart that is obsessed with something other than love for the Father. And likewise, the Christian life is not, not primarily anyway, about good character, or being humble, or being charitable, etc., but about knowing the one and only true God. 
So for Luther, the things that Erasmus was concerned about, they flow out of a heart that knows God. They are consequences of a relationship with him. When Luther saw the church, it's not an army. It doesn't just tell people to shape up because it realizes and is compassionate as a result that actually we're all enslaved to sin. And so hectoring folk to change, <coughs> excuse me, it might produce some short-term results or maybe even permanent superficial ones, but it will never really deal with the problem. For that, Luther found out we need something else. And that something else is the gospel of Christ. Here's another quote from him. <clears throat> to fulfill the law is to do its works with pleasure and love. This pleasure and love for the law is put into the heart by the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is not given except in, with, and by faith in Christ Jesus. Faith, moreover, comes only through God's word, our gospel, which preaches Christ. <clears throat> so for Luther, a heart that is enslaved to sin could only ever be set free to love freely through an encounter with Christ. He must be shown to be better than, more alluring than, more desirable than the sin. And for Luther, this was the mission of the church. Whereas Erasmus envisioned a stern church with the hierarchies modeling and encouraging and pushing everyone to greater efforts. Luther wanted folk to know that God had given his son for them. And this was not because of anything that they had done. He wanted them to know that they were slaves and addicts to sin. And they needed ears opened to the glory of God in Christ and not hectoring, not constant pushing. For only the gospel would change them. Indeed, only the gospel would save them. And thereafter, true virtues and character would spring up. And let me say this as well. <clears throat> a few times here, and uh, well, at least once here in Kirkpatrick, and other times in other churches, I've had people give out to me about preaching the gospel. Um, and the idea goes something like this. They say, everyone in this church is saved, Richie. You know, why are we talking about this again? Let's get on with doing good for the glory of God. Well, that misses the point. I continue to sin. I continue to need forgiveness. I continue to be enthralled by other things. And so I continue to need to hear that God loves me. That's the gospel. And it's only by hearing it that I rest, that I see the glory of God, and then move out again to love him, to love his people, my neighbors, with a heart that pleases God. And I suspect that the reason that even in evangelical churches like here, the reason that I hear this is because folk are still working off a definition of sin that basically sees it as breaking God's rules. And in that scheme, just like Erasmus, after one becomes a Christian, all that's needed is effort to keep going. Yep, now you know the truth. Well then, stop breaking God's laws and help us to go out and do good. Right? That's the thinking. But as Luther would have said, that's a lot of rubbish. You're putting the horse before the cart. And you're doing so because your understanding of sin is profoundly deficient. Sin is not just breaking God's laws. 
It's a basic failure to love and trust God. Like we heard earlier, and we didn't hear earlier, but one of the things I could have read out earlier is everything that does not come from faith is sin. You see, you could keep Erasmus's 22 laws for being a Christian soldier and still be sinning. You could emulate the humility of, of Mary or the dedication to the poor of St. Francis. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He, he was very good with the poor. And yet all the time, says Luther, you could be guilty of the worst sin of all of them, of not loving God, but loving other things before him. In fact, all such attempts of being good in that way would in fact only compound the sin by the arrogant assumption that, like God, I can produce righteousness and eternal life for myself, by myself. These attempts at earning salvation by our own efforts, or earning God's favour by our own efforts, are actually attempts at setting ourselves up as an idol. I am the most important thing to me. And that is breaking the first commandment. And you can see, I think, I hope you can see, why the Catholic Church had such a big problem with him. <coughs> I don't think it's controversial to say um, that this is hard for folk to accept. This message that Luther rediscovered undermines the goodness of many people who think they are good. It undermines the efforts of many in the church who want us to go out and just do good. In fact, it doesn't just undermine their goodness and their efforts, it labels them as liars and deceived. The gospel is annoying at best, I think, and a scandal most of the time. But, but, if you can accept it, if you can accept the reformer's view of sin, it's a great doctrine of promise. Because with it, Christ is a glorious saviour who gives us the most precious thing we can have, a righteousness in the eyes of God. But if sin is not so deep a problem, well then I maintain Christ is not so great a saviour and we don't need so much grace. I don't believe that, but if it's not a big problem for you, you don't need a big, you don't need a big saviour. And as I've said here many times, and I will again if I get the chance, cheer up folks, you're worse than you think you are. If we can only see the extent of our problem, we would stop relying on ourselves and trust him more and more and more. Like, does it ever happen where, you know, after some, you have a bit of a catastrophe, you have a revelation, right? Maybe you have it out with someone, and it's, it's painful, yeah? But then the weeks go by, and you're a different person. It's good that you saw that stuff. This is where true freedom is found, in knowing ourselves and knowing that we're loved by God. And it's at the nexus of sin and truth that this happens. That's why Protestantism, in general, more than any of the other branches of Christianity, has so many stories of conversion. Because people, over time, or in a short space of time, they see their sin, and they're amazed at the grace of Christ, who would die for a sinner such as them. Only those who, see their, who really see their need of a saviour are set free. In the Gospels, it's the prostitutes who cry over Jesus. Whereas the goody-goodies, the Pharisees, they condescend to him, they sneer at him, 
they question him and eventually they want to kill him. I fully believe, don't get me wrong, right? I fully believe in attempting to do good everywhere I go and in any way I can. But I know that any improvement I make in the world's condition won't touch people's hearts. For that they need a new heart. And that can only happen through the gospel being preached and the glory of God and Christ being revealed to them. So, someone asked me, <clears throat> before we started this series, what are the doctrines that we need to reform today? And I think it was asked in the hope that we wouldn't go over the same battles as we did 500 years ago. And I, I don't want to go over those battles either. I kind of have the same hope. But I think the question is misplaced. Because the doctrines that we need to recover are always the same. Anytime the church or the people who make it up recover a better understanding of the main things that were discovered at the Reformation, the result is always freedom in Christ. And at the risk of becoming a stereotype, that's it. We're going to sing a song.